Trojan fans. It's time for another installment of the Trojan Blast Recruiting Podcast. We give you the inside scoop on everything about USC football recruiting from the experts who know what they're talking about. Which players have an offer, which ones don't, who the coaches like, and who our experts like. And now, here are your co-hosts for the Trojan Blast Recruiting Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher Ryan Abraham and uscfootball.com national recruiting analyst Gerard Martinez. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast, a Trojan Blast recruiting podcast. Yes, rare one of those with Gerard Martinez. You can follow him on Twitter at GMartLive. Typically, we do these behind the paywall, but... With all the weird stuff going on right now, we thought we'd just do a free podcast for you to get Gerard's thoughts on everything going on with USC recruiting. The entire recruiting calendar is up in the air, like college football calendar, like sports calendar. We just don't know at this point how it's going to impact USC's recruiting class of 2021. Obviously, they need to get a good class to bounce back uh, from the disappointment of the class of 2020. So we're going to answer your questions. Gerard posted on the Peristyle. That's our premium message board over at uscfootball.com, which you should definitely check out. A lot of questions uh, over the last 24 hours or so, so we'll do our best to get to those. And we got a couple of voicemails people had called in as well. If you have any questions for our show here, for the podcast, for Dan for Dan Weber, for Harvey Hyde, for myself, Keeley, Shotgun, Gerard, wherever you want to send them in, podcast at uscfootball.com. Try to direct it so we know which podcast to put it on. We're going to try to do a lot of these shows during the uh, downtime so you guys will have a little bit more USC football entertainment. You can also call or text us with a question or comment, 424-254-9141. And please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, anywhere you can get a podcast, you can get the Peristyle Podcast. And leave us a positive review. Five-star ratings are great. Uh, Any kind of feedback, we do appreciate. Tell your friends that are USC football fans uh, about the Peristyle Podcast. So this will be our 13th football season. Uh, for the Parasol Podcast. We've been doing this a really long time, and we do love talking to Gerard Martinez, who is on the line. What's up, Gerard? How are you? I'm hanging in there, man. I'm trying to hang in there. Uh, lots of crazy stuff going on, obviously, and we're all uh, in an interesting spot. We're all trying to come together and yet stay apart at the same time, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, it's 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 tough, you know, not to be distracted and um, just kind of locked down with uh, my parents and uh, making sure, you know, got the hand sanitizer and and just trying to kind of stay low key and um, at the same time, you know, do our jobs and try to provide an outlet for the people because we know that everybody is in a similar situation to us and we can provide a little entertainment, a little something to take their minds off of all the crazy stuff that's going on. And so uh, that's what we're here for. And, um, you know, we're thankful that we have an online business and, you know, we're not necessarily affected by this uh, directly where we, you know, I can't go in an office or or I have a service where we have to be in touch with directly with people. And so that's good. And we have to use that opportunity to make sure that uh, we provide that that benefit for people that are subscribed. And, you know, even the people that are not subscribed, like you said, kind of, you know, just giving everybody a little bit of taste of what's going on and um, a little behind the scenes with recruiting, uh, probably maybe to die hard for uh, the regular, just, hey, I'm on the free board type of thing. Uh, so they're going to get blitzed with some uh, some detailed information here and hopefully some insight as to going on with recruiting, even though recruiting is 
for the most part, shut down right now during the spring. Yeah, it is shut down. Uh, I was watching, if you watch Gavin Morris's Instagram, who's always involved when it comes to USC football recruiting, uh, he's uh, somewhere in some snowy location. Um, you know, a lot of the coaches that just moved to Southern California with the new staff and they're active recruiting, some of them living in the hotel, they have to go home. You know, there's, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of interesting things happening right now and it's hard to get things working. Now coaches can still text with players and they can still, uh, you know, communicate digitally, but there's no more visits. Uh, what is it? They call it the NCAA made it a dead period or I forget what they, they called it, but right now you can't have any kind of visit. So there, it was a, you know, a period where you could do that coming out for spring football and stuff. And uh, now you cannot. Yeah. Spring is a big sort of period where you want to be able to bring kids in on unofficial visits. And then as you tra- you kind of transition into the later spring at the end of spring ball, April 15 is the May evaluation period. And therefore, after you now have the ability to bring kids on official visits as well. So you not only have college coaches going out and seeing kids in person from an evaluation standpoint, you also have the process of bringing kids in on your campus and having official visits, which was created because of the early signing period. So there's a lot of stuff we can speculate on. And certainly we're not going to get into uh, coronavirus and speculating on that. Um, but how it affects recruiting, there's also a lot of conjecture and speculation as to how it really impacts things long term. A lot of people feel that the calendar is just going to get pushed, um, you know, sort of back into where the old standard one day signing day. Uh, you're not going to be able to have that early signing day because the early official visit period is going to probably be in limbo. Um, so if, if, if that's in limbo and kids are not taking those early official visits, they can't take official visits during the summer. And again, you don't even have the process of unofficial visits, which is very important, just even to local recruits, uh, all of that stuff kind of gets pushed back in the summer. You've got this very truncated window, um, a smaller window than ever before, even before they had an early signing period. And so it would make sense that everything was kind of pushed back just to uh, the old, you know, February signing day, which I, I know would probably make a lot of people happy. Um, but it's definitely something that, uh, you know, I think some of the kids are, are a little nervous about and, and they're stressing about, you know, where do I go to school if I if I can't actually visit these schools? I talked to Ethan Calvert the other day, and he was kind of, uh, I think he was kind of annoyed by the fact that, you know, he wasn't able to go and, and visit the schools like Washington and Oregon and Cal and Stanford the way he had previously planned. And so, you know, it's it's just how it is. And, and you know, for, for obviously the health of everybody, it's better that all that stuff was shut down. And I, and I don't disagree with it at all. I mean, I was very uh, kind of thankful that it, that people had been as proactive as they were um, with practices, with recruiting and everything. It's just a smart way to go about it. But yeah, there's a lot of speculation as to how it impacts this whole recruiting class and how those kids are going to be able to have uh, sort of that in-person uh, ability to sit down and watch film with coaches, be able to tour the facilities, be able to tour uh, the, the specific programs academically that they're interested in, and probably more than anything, just being around those football teams, you know, being in the locker room, being around the kids uh, that they know and, and then the players that they don't know to get a real feel for that team. And that goes a long ways in recruiting. You know, everybody, when you, when you read 
about recruits and them and you're going into the major factors that they're looking at in recruiting, it's always about how their comfort level is. You know, that's a big deal. Comfort level, comfort level, always come, you know, the environment, the comfort level, that's always such a huge factor. And it's hard to know if you're comfortable in a, in a, in a situation when you've never really been around the team, the locker room, the coaches and been on campus to see the student, uh, the student, uh, the, the, uh, what was the word I'm looking for? I can't, I'm just blinking. The students on campus. Um, yeah, you like don't the have, yeah, being comfortable in the entire college experience, that environment. If you don't get the visit, body. Yeah. <laughs> student, I was, I was going to say student faculty and then I got stuck on faculty to go, I'm not talking about student faculty, it's student, student body. Yeah. Student body, right. Student body, left. Somebody who covers USC football should never forget that term, but I forgot about it. <laughs> the, the times we live in. Um, but, uh, I, I, I will tell, I will, I apologize ahead of time. I am probably going to be distracted and I may not remember things and, and be on the ball quite as much with recruiting right now. Cause yeah, there's a lot of other things going, I lost my social security card or I misplaced it. I've been looking for it all day. I'm freaking out about that. <laughs> freaking out about coronavirus. Freaking out. It's easy to freak out about everything. So yeah, recruiting is kind of, you know, it's like, uh, I got to do this, but you know, it's a little, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a little scatterbrained, I guess you could say. Um, but yeah, for recruits, they're, you know, anxious about that, that being taken away from them and they don't have that ability to go see these kids, uh, see these coaches and, and these players and get into that environment and hang out and just feel the vibe. And so um, we're going to have to see when they're going to have that ability to do that. Yeah. We just don't know at this point and that getting that comfort level, we don't know how it's going to impact the recruiting machine overall. And, you know, could USC have an advantage having local players that would be easier to just stay home than go across the country or do people want to get away? It's just, it, you know, do they want to get away from cities at the time. I mean, we just, we don't know how it's going to impact things. We know it will. We just don't know how. And that, that inability to become comfortable, um, it might hurt more remote places where that, you know, recruit well, uh, like maybe a Clemson that's been recruiting at a very high level but it's not that easy to get to, or are you going to travel around and not be sure you know, of what you're going to get there? Would you say, oh, I'm going to really stay home? And it, not just for like Southern California kids, maybe kids from Louisiana or kids from Texas or Florida. You're like, yeah, I don't want to go that far away from home, even though Clemson's amazing. There's not as many you know, high level prospects in Clemson's back door, you know, so USC, UCLA, uh, you know, Cal Stanford, maybe those schools have advantages. Miami, Florida State, Florida. I, I don't know. Maybe it does, but we, we just don't know how it's going to impact things. No, we don't. And, you know, USC did a good job, at least locally, getting a bunch of kids on campus during the winter. Uh, they had several junior meet and greets. Um, one before kind of the new staff was, was in place, and then two more when the new staff was in place. And I think that uh, those really helped USC. I mean, I think there was very much a positive vibe from those visits. So they go a long way right now. You know, you, you get those kids on campus, you get them around the staff, and at least you have that much. You have the foot in the door. Um, but, you know, you talk about Clemson, and obviously everybody wants to know about Corey Miner, the five-star defensive end from Corona Centennial, and, uh, and Bo Collins, the uh, four-star wide receiver from St. John Bosco and Bellflower. And both those guys had unofficially visited uh, Clemson before they had committed to Clemson. And, and Corey basically committed to Clemson on his unofficial visit. So, you know, those guys have seen Clemson, and there's not necessarily like um, 
uh, a, a lot of mystery as to what they're getting into from the vibe and, and meeting coaches and seeing the student body and sort of the, the environment that Clemson has. Uh, but, you know, the, the, there's also the aspect of, you know, moms just being a little bit worried with this kind of stuff going on and, and, you know, this, you know, maybe being the, the, the beginning of some, you know, this, this can, we have to learn a lesson about coronavirus. Obviously this is something that, you know, we'll get past, but we're looking down a little bit of the, the barrel of the gun as far as, you know, this being something that it, it's not the first time and it's not going to be the last time sort of thing um, unless we sort of act. And people know that and they have that in the back of their heads. You know that a mom wants to keep her family close. And when this kind of stuff happens, it does tend to have that sort of reverberation of, okay, you know, people don't want to necessarily go across the country and be in the situation where, you know, they don't have the ability to to have their loved ones close to them um, in this type of situation. So, you know, that's going to impact things. There's going to be a little bit of a an effect that happens from that. Um, but, you know, to, to what extent and to, you know, who it, who who it impacts and, and who thinks about it more and, and who, you know, I was going to go out of state, but now, you know, my folks and my family and seeing how, you know, the quarantines were and how this, if this happens again, I wouldn't want to be away from my family. And then those kids start to think about that. And all of a sudden they want to stay close to home. And then, you know, USC is obviously in a good situation for that, but then vice versa, if you're trying to go across the country and you're trying to get a kid, maybe it's that much more difficult now to get them to come to Los Angeles. So yeah, I mean, it, it, it really much is one of those things where you just kind of have to sit back and kind of see how it unfolds. And um, the recruiting calendar, like we said, we don't know how, that's going to be jostled about a little bit. You know, if we're on the back end of May and there's still, you know, not college campuses are still not open. And we, the, the thing is, it's like, how is, how are they going to open? You know, is it going to be one conference at a time? Is it going to be certain I mean, obviously the schools don't really have a say in it individually. It seems like the conferences made that call. So there was some voting that went on there. Um, and then you have the NCAA as well. And everybody wants to be safer than sorry. So we don't know how that is going to sort of happen. You know, like if the SEC all of a sudden says, okay, yeah, everybody in May, okay, we're good. We're coming back. And then people on the West Coast are still like, hey, this is not over. Like, we don't want to just get this thing going all over again. And the Pac-12 decides, no, we're going to continue on a recruiting lockdown and that's going to be a weird thing because, you know, you're going to have other conferences that will have a big advantage because they're going to be able to bring kids on the official visit. That whole thing has got to play out as well. So there's a lot of stuff that has to unfold, and it's just impossible to really understand and really know how the powers of B are going to get out of this and move forward with recruiting. Yeah. Well, let's. Uh, is there anything else you want to discuss before we jump into these questions? Because we got a lot of them. What do you think? Yeah, we should just we should just go to questions because it, it probably we've over overlapped on a bunch of questions, so we should just go to questions. Yeah. So, I'll, uh, excuse me. Whoa, la 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 la. Uh, my voice is going. A lot of podcasts this week. A lot of shows. Uh, we'll start off with. Uh, I'll just go kind of in order as where they posted them, and if some are repeats or whatever, we'll we'll skip through. Uh, but Tejas Pacific said SC has five coaches with Texas ties. Are we making any headway in that state? And if so, who? Um, I I don't know how much headway they're making because again, we're kind of in this state of, you know, how 
does this affect out-of-state recruiting? Um, I know that they had a few official visits that were sort of in the works during the summer. Um, uh, Matthew Wyckoff was one kid from Magnolia, Texas, uh, 6'5", 300-pound offensive tackle, who had uh, an official visit set up for June. We think that, you know, after his unofficial visit Sunday, uh, Sawyer Robertson, the quarterback from Lubbock, Texas, um, was also uh, a good a good uh, bet to be able to take an official visit uh, to USC during the summer. Um, those are the two guys that kind of stand out as uh, players that have already kind of, you know, penciled in the official visit and are guys that I think USC has a decent shot at. Now, they've offered a bunch of other kids, and they're thinking and trying, USC is, to bring in a bunch of other different players for official visits as well. I mean, Hunter Washington from Katy, Texas, cornerback. Um, they've offered quite a few defensive backs from Texas. But with those guys, I don't know that they have any real sort of traction. I mean, it's one of those things that, you know, with the the passing tournaments and things, sometimes kids come out here on unofficial visits, and then you talk to them. And because they've been out here, they get to CLA, they get to see California, and then they're like, "Yeah, you know, I want to come back here for for an official visit." Um, so we, you know, we don't, we really didn't get much of that. The only real camps that we covered were like Elite Eleven and the Under Armour camp, you know, and they didn't, they weren't really necessarily national. So yeah, we're, I, I can't say that there's anybody else in this class that USC is making this great headway, uh, headway with, I think I'm a bit skeptical still of the, the emphasis that they put on Texas. Um, there's a, a bit of a, like, yeah, you know, we're having trouble with local recruits, or at least that certainly was the case last year. And it was very easily to go. It was very easy to say, Oh, we're just going to go after Texas and we're going to get these, you know, we're getting these gems out of Texas. These kids are all going to be great. You know, Texas football is so great and the competition and blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, no, you went to Texas because you had to, you know, you, you, you didn't do your research maybe locally and get those kids that, you know, you, you weren't on them early. That were the three-star kids that were the underrated kids that sort of blew up later. You, you kind of missed out on those. And now you're having to go into Texas and get a kid and hope that nobody really realizes that, yeah, he's just a guy that in Texas and Texas A&M and Oklahoma and LSU and Baylor, nobody offered them. Like, so, you know, that's not necessarily what you want to be doing. They're a bit ahead of the curve now and they're going after a lot of the top players and they've given a, a ton of offers, you know, in, into Texas uh, for the 21 class, 22 class, even. Um, I think I've, trying to remember last night I just wrote a piece I, I think it was something like uh, 14 15 offers um, in the 2022 class for Texas players and like uh, six of those were defensive backs so they're they're putting a lot of you know effort into trying to make that happen to some extent really you want to just cherry pick and just get a couple kids you know here and there maybe two or three kids from Texas in a class of, of 20 21 let's say um, but you know as far as headway goes yeah, I mean, was it real headway to get Cortland Ford and Casey Collier? I mean, you signed two guys. They might end up being really good. I mean, Cortland Ford, certainly if, if you know, the injury stuff is not a factor, as he's claimed, um, then, yeah, he could be a, a, a pretty good steal for, for, for USC. Uh, but they offered a bunch of other guys that were much highly more rated and yet didn't have a lot of luck with those guys. So until you start actually – getting your plan A's, you know, and maybe just your plan B's in Texas, I wouldn't say headway 
is really being made. You know, you, you really, the proof is in the pudding, and at some point, you got to get some of those commits. And once you start getting commits, then you start to say, okay, even if they're just verbal commits, you can say, okay, they're starting to make some, there's some traction there. They're, you know, maybe those kids, they decommit down the line or whatever, but you're still seeing some type of result from the recruiting process. So, um, yeah, that's my answer to that. There's a couple kids that they, they have a, they have some, they've made some good moves with, and if they can get those official visits at some point, you know, whether it's during the summer or during the fall, um, that would be, that would be very good. I, I think those are two guys that they've circled in on. All right. Uh, let's see. Let's move on. We'll go to uh, EJAC six, uh, one, six, seven, six building on the recruiting and marketing staffs. Have you talked to anyone about why season promotion around the city and state are zero, no billboards or anything that promotes football or any USC sports for that matter. Um, I'll, I'll try this one real quick, Gerard. I think they have a plan. The, the, you know, the new athletic department, they had a plan in place of what they wanted to do. I know season tickets and getting people excited again, and it doesn't include just trying to get people to re-sign up. There's a lot of you know opportunity for new signups and people that maybe were, uh, you know, season ticket 10 years ago, trying to get people back. I think that was all part of the plan. I think this coronavirus has thrown that, you know, just thrown a wrench into everything. They felt like they were building. I wrote a story about this on the site. They felt like they were building momentum. You had the basketball team that could have made a run. You had the football team that was going to be tackling a practice. And even the recruiting aspect, um, USC did get a recent commit and felt like you could have had some dominoes falling and getting some more commitments and getting people excited again. And I think that's what I think that's what they were trying to build up to. Now you can't, and uh, all that's gone. We don't know. You know, spring football's in you know serious jeopardy. So you could talk about, hey, we brought in all these new coaches, and they're going to be hitting in practice. We're tackling. It's physical and violence and all that. But until you see it, it doesn't really matter. And so now you can't build on any of that stuff. All those kind of good decisions that were made. You mentioned the the recruiting staff. So yeah, they they built that out. They've you know five new hires. Uh, plus a couple, you know, student ones, and they've they've tried to build that out, but I don't think they can do much now. So they might shift um, and try to do some of that billboard stuff, but it it might be like a hollow message. Like I said, I think they needed to show some tangible results before they did stuff like that. That's just my take on it. I don't know if you heard anything, Gerard. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think it's, you know, sort of obvious from that standpoint. I, I will say behind the scenes. What they were doing a really good job at is that, you know, we talked about the support staff and them adding support staff. They were adding guys that were recruiters on the support staff, which were, you know, very, very crucial, I think, to recruiting modern day. Um, but they are also adding video production people. Um, they added some marketing people. Or actually, they were in the process of still searching for uh, a marketing person when it came to social media and would be. Uh, in, involved with recruiting as well. Um, and uh, so that, that that there's some crucial elements just from the recruiting standpoint of the social media aspect of videos, hype videos, um, the this, this stuff that's not necessarily the people that are going to be on the front lines recruiting the kids and being in front of the kids, but the behind-the-scenes support staff people that do a lot of great things in terms of the visibility of the program and 
and the just getting a constant stream of, you know, edits and, and things about the school and facts about the school and videos about practice and video, all that kind of stuff. That's very important. A lot of people saw the hype videos that LSU had all last season and were marked about how great they were and, and how cool they were. And that, I mean, that's Ed Ergeron understanding how much that actually impacts recruiting. You know, it's it's uh, it's not just for the fans that are LSU fans that, you know, want to watch those videos and get hype about the season. It's also for the recruits and the kids that are like, oh, yeah, man, I want to be a part of that. So USC was also doing that in the background. All right. Um, yeah, the we had one from Bone, B-O-H-N-R fan, about how many more recruiting support staff will USC add? I think it was seven total that were added. Is that correct? Like five it, it was support. It's seven. It's seven. It's seven is sort of the number right now added to, to what they had. But um, there's one that's sort of uh, kind of still in the wind a little bit that probably will probably won't happen until summer, I think. And again, I mean, we're in this state of uh, limbo a little bit with, with just about everything. So, um, but there was, there was, Obviously, we talked about Chris Claiborne, that being kind of the last one in that process. And um, <clears throat> we have to update that and kind of see, you know, where, where that stands, I guess, uh, with him. But uh, there was another additional analyst that they were talking about bringing in. And that was going to happen. And then there were some other things that went on where um, it sounded like it was going to be delayed. So that was the last update I think we had in the war room as far as the added support staff. But, yeah, seven is is the, the total number they wanted to add. Yeah. And it, obviously, this stuff can be all delayed now because of the coronavirus stuff. Um, I'll combine two of them here. Uh, TWP Trojan, he wanted to get your best guess on the wide receiver class, and can we get back in it with Bo Collins? And we have a voicemail that didn't really have a question, but he talks about Bo Collins. I'll play it for you and then get your thoughts, Gerard. Here you go. Guys, Frank out in Irvine, class of 2004. Bo Collins, top 100 player probably top 10 in the state of California, commits to Clemson. But I guess recruiting is going better than anybody wants to admit. Enough of the optimism, enough of the wishful thinking. Ryan, I went and listened to the podcast you ain't played no one. And, man, it is just open season on us. I guess maybe Mike Bone could use some of that optimistic, wishful thinking that players will maybe start thinking of going to USC one day because, I mean, this is just – ridiculous and once a solid to be a USC receiver I mean it's now these kids we're not even in the picture anymore and yet it's being tolerated like Clay is this amazing guy if he was that good of a guy that people like the kids would be playing for him regardless oh yeah is that, was that the end yeah they kind of ended abruptly just without us uh, oh <laughs> Sometimes people have like uh, odd this... pauses and then they sometimes just kind of trail off instead of like having a, like a, a, a nice period at the end of their sentence. But yeah, that, that wasn't the I kind of wait for the, the question. I guess the question <laughs> is, well, the question is Bo Collins. Um, appreciate the call. Uh, it just, I guess where USC sort of sits with him. Um, he's followed to Clemson still, you know, I think that, uh, he made that early decision, and again, he made that decision after an unofficial visit, so it's not necessarily something where he made the, the commitment and had plans to unofficially visit, and then you know those plans fell through. Um, USC still recruiting him. They still like him. Uh, they still have a chance at him. You know how, how good of a chance? 
I think it depends a bit on the season, and it, de- it definitely depends a bit on how hard they recruit him. Um, I think Troy Franklin is another guy that USC has been ha- hard after um, and have a, a decent shot at. Um, you know, it's three in this class probably, and I think you're looking at maybe uh, maybe an out-of-state guy for the third. It, it really sort of depends, you know. I mean, they did offer Xavier Worthy, who's out of Fresno, uh, who has uh, you know, kind of an unrated kid but has some pretty intriguing film and supposedly some pretty good track times, like some 10-7 track times. And so if you go and you watch him on film, go to his profile and watch Xavier Worthy from, uh, I think he's from Fresno Central East. Um, he's a pretty dynamic player as well. Michael Jackson is a guy from uh, Las Vegas. We saw him uh, just at the Elite 11 workouts. A good, you know, solid-looking player, um, kind of a slot player, kind of kind of built a little like Amon Ra. Um, I don't know if he's, you know, that polished. I don't, he does, he, he's not that kind of like finished product uh, coming out of high school, um, but similar in terms of his build and a, and a good built kid that you would probably play in the slot. Um, that's kind of sort of where it is. They've offered again a few kids out of Texas. Really don't know where that's going to go until they start to get some visits and things. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't say USC is going to get or has any real traction from any kid uh, that they haven't actually had in on an official visit. So, you know, Troy Franklin's been down there a couple times. Um, I think that's, you know, one of their sort of main targets right now. Um, and then you've got a couple other kids. I mean, it's interesting that, you know, I obviously feel good with some of their top guys seeing that they had Veltre Jefferson, who was committed to USC, uh, sort of fall through the cracks. Um, that was an interesting one because he committed to USC last summer after one of the elite camps. But checking in on that with sources, it didn't sound to me like USC was necessarily ready to take that commitment. There was sort of a little bit of it was vagueness to that. And so him decommitting kind of tells me that USC – sort of pushed that along and it's because they felt like they had some other guys that they wanted to recruit more. So that's sort of the good news on that front. And certainly the good news is when they go play ball uh, during the fall, they're going to put up a bunch of numbers with that offense. And they put a bunch of numbers up with that offense last year. So I think with the receiver position, it's not too much of a worry in and of itself. You're really just looking for, you know, somebody that comes in and can be, uh, one of those guys that make immediate impact. You know, that's really what you want. This is a system that has been very successful. And you have to remember with receivers that were not big time receivers either. Um, USC is recruited really well. They got a ton of talent. And this is why everybody thought, you know, what, what's the airway going to look like with the USC when you've got guys like Mike Pittman and Tyler Vaughn and Amon Ross St. Brown and Kyle Ford and Brew McCoy. And <laughs> you just go down the line with all these guys that they got. But the truth of the matter is, Washington State, Texas Tech, those schools never had guys that were these just these big behemoth type uh, receivers. They had a lot of guys that were really good players that ran good routes. They were fast. They were, you know, overachievers. And so I don't know. You want to get one of those guys that can be sort of the pinnacle featured guy in this class, but I don't necessarily know that it's a big deal that you're going to get three of them. You know, it's not the pro-style offense back in the day with Pete Carroll where you kind of needed to get those guys that could just, just play out of their 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 minds because it was like throw the ball up, you know. I mean, we're going to get play action and we're going to throw the ball up. 
This is a little more of using the field, and you want guys that can really run good routes and are really good technicians. And so, you know, that that that's going to be a process. I wouldn't be surprised if a, if, if a few more wide receiver um, offers uh, didn't go out. But the fact that, you know, they had a guy that was committed and they decided, you know what, they could probably go in another direction, at least that's that's the read I get on that, um, says that they probably feel good about uh, one of at least one of the top guys that they're in on Monday. Let's go with uh, Charmack, I think his name is on the peristyle, with uh, Jake Garciari committed. Will that deter Miller Moss from choosing USC? You know, I have heard from a pretty good source that these are, Miller Moss These are quarterbacks, commit- by the way, so just let people know. These, these are quarterbacks. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jake Garcia, four-star quarterback, was at Narbonne, transferred over to La Habra High School. And Miller Moss, who's at Bishop Alamany, who's had you know a really good offseason and a lot of people are, are ranking him ahead of Jake Garcia right now. Um, somebody had told me that, you know, if Miller Moss was to commit to USC, Jake Garcia would probably decommit. Really? Miller Moss told me, yeah, Miller Moss told me that he didn't care. Like, you know, his recruitment was not going to be impacted or changed or influenced by another quarterback's decision. So he was, you know, he, he, he basically said, I didn't care. You know, I don't care if Jake Garcia is there. I don't care if anybody else is there. Um, but from the standpoint of the recruiting, um, I guess priorities and kind of the, the, the direction USC has gotten, I feel like if Miller Moss was, was, was a guy that was rated as high with USC as they are with maybe 24 seven, he would have been committed already because he was going to commit at the beginning of March and he delayed that commitment. And I kind of already gotten the vibe that maybe, he was going to delay that commitment. And so I think there's some other guys there um, that uh, USC's recruiting. And, and like we said, you know, they brought in uh, Sawyer Robertson on an unofficial visit um, last Sunday or the Sunday before I'm already forgetting. Um, and uh, that went very well from what I understand. And it's kind of going to be a battle. Texas is there. Uh, Mississippi State, uh, Mike Leach has made Sawyer Robertson sort of like his number one target. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's going to be something, but, you know, he, he grew up there in Lubbock and, you know, Graham Harrell is sort of a Lubbock legend. And so he's got a very good uh, relationship with the coaching staff at USC. And I think he likes the offense and there's a lot to like about just USC in terms of tradition at quarterback. So they're in a, in a, in a, in a they're a little bit of a dark horse, I think, um, in many people's eyes, but I, I think that they, you know, get him on his own dime out here for an unofficial visit. And it wasn't because of some other camp. He didn't participate in the Elite 11 camp when he was out here. He just visited USC. So that was a good thing. That kind of showed that he, he there's mutual interest there with him. So, you know, I, I think, you know, you see that Miller Moss could have committed already, didn't. I think it's, there's sort of some reading between the lines there. All right. Uh, let's see. We can move on to gate call. Uh, if we were to flip someone, uh, some of the big names that went out of state, what's the timeline on that happening? Would it not happen until December, November? What do you think? Yeah, I think it wouldn't happen until an official visit, or excuse me, official visits, which would be, you know, November, December. I don't think right now there's going to be an early signing period. I just have my doubts. Um, I think this this whole recruiting sort of dead period is going to probably go into mid-May, even into June maybe. And I think that's going to just kill any of those early official visits. And I think that in itself kills 
the early signing period. Um, so from that standpoint, that's going to have to, you know, adjust the official visits that kids take. And those kids are not going to be taking the official visits until during and after the season. So if you're talking about the kids that went out of state that are from California and Corey, uh, we're talking about Corey Foreman and we're talking about Bo Collins. We're talking about some of the guys, maybe the guys going to Oregon, those, those players. Yeah. I think it would be more about the official visits and being able to turn them. And obviously USC has to have a good season. They have to continue to recruit their pants off. They're doing a good job. Of, of just being way more active with communicating with kids and talking to kids, you know, and talking to, to some of the players that have offers and, and, you know, how, how often do you talk to Dante Williams? Talk to him almost every day. Wow. I haven't heard that before about a USC, <laughs> a USC coach ever almost. I mean, you know, that's the, that's the kind of thing that the, the good recruiters and the good recruiting staff do, you know, you hear that about Oregon, wait, wait, Alabama. Mean, it's it like, matters if the, the coach that's recruiting the player talks to them every day as opposed to just like once every couple months, every three months? That, that makes a difference. <laughs> See, if they would have known yeah. that they could have fixed that before, you know? Yeah. You know, like I said, part-time recruiters at certain positions and that's existed under Clay Helton a bit. And, um, there's, there's not as much of that going on. I mean, I can't say that every coach on that staff is calling kids every day, uh, but certainly, you know, with Dante, that's one of those things where um, I'm trying to remember who I talked to. I don't know if it was Damani Jackson. I don't think it was Damani Jackson because he's 2022. It was a 2021 kid. And it may have been Caleb Bullock or Jameer Johnson or somebody I just DM'd with. And they're like, yeah, I, I mean, I literally like talk to him every day. And so that's, that's a big deal. And especially, you know, through periods like this, I mean, this is where you really can build a relationship with just texting and calling and, you know, how's your family? What are you doing to stay safe? Um, you know, and trading stories and just, just a lot of stuff that you can talk about on the phone when everybody's sort of freaked out and everything's going on. And so, um, you know, and, and obviously the coaches, you know, they have families and everything. They've got people that they have to watch over, but, um, you know, they they this is, they don't really have a lot of time for meetings. They can't meet. They can, I, I don't even know what they're doing, to be honest with you. Maybe they are meeting. I mean, they, they could, I guess they could go and just meet at Clay Helton's house and start something. That's that's actually a great question as to how are they continuing their preparation for the season? Because this whole off season is about the real season, and just because you know you can't um, technically meet at USC. And, and, and be there under the university, uh, I guess. I don't know. I mean, all football activities have been suspended. I don't know how far that goes in terms of meetings or whatever. You know, what you do at home, are they watching film together? Are they go? I mean, I'm sure some of them are. I'm sure, you know, Coach Orlando probably has Craig Niver over and, and, and maybe Dante and the defensive staff's trying to get on the same page and they're watching film and they're trading ideas and stuff like that. But, I mean, that's kind of an interesting question as to how that goes. But obviously behind the scenes with recruiting, They've got to be involved, and in, in, yeah, I think this is a, a crucial time. I mean, this would this would be really bad if USC had some of the coaches they've had in the years past, where they just out of sight, out of mind. You know, I mean, they basically yeah. recruit during their own visits. They recruit when they got to do the May thing, and they recruit when you know the kids are on campus, uh, and, and then in home visits. Uh, but everything in between, there's like these dark periods that go by, and that's not really happening with the the coaches that they have in staff now. Yeah, uh, they pro- probably a lot of those Zoom conference calls your people are doing. You know, just pull up; everyone could be in their home and 
and chat so you don't have to go to people's houses and things. Yeah, I'm curious to see what they're what they are doing. Um, but you got to be still involved. You can still text. You can still DM people and stuff. Uh, Tent M says, any update on four-star offensive lineman Bram Walden from Phoenix? Seems like his Twitter is all USC since his visit. Yeah, haven't uh, been able to catch up with him. I think it was a great unofficial visit. Um, that was for the weekend where they had the kids in for the basketball game. Great win by USC. Um, you know, great environment. Uh, it, it's, it's, you know, funny because you never know how the basketball games are going to go. You know, how many people are going to be there, what the environment's going to be like, how the team's going to play. And I actually, you know, had a conversation with, uh, somebody at USC that just, you know, as part of the p- football program, I'm like, you know, I, I thought the whole Coliseum thing was really good. You know, those kids don't really get to see the Coliseum that much. And, it's you know you got that new facility there with uh, let's see almost called it the ivory tower <laughs> the scholarship tower um and and you know and just and they don't really get to see that much even when they're on a, uh, unofficial visits or official visits when the fans are there um there's kind of rules cuz they can't be around boosters and everything so that's a great time to be able to just get those kids over there and it's a football thing and it's like hey here's where you're going to be playing and empty or not the coliseum is still this you know landmark um, so we were kind of talking about that, but it, the basketball game ended up being tremendous and it ended up being a tremendous environment. And I think it helped them a lot. I think, you know, the coaches are working on it. Um, I think they have a good shot, uh, at Bram Walden. Uh, but you know, I, you know, are they the leader right now? I don't know if I would, I would say that yet. Um, I think he's definitely looking at a few other schools. Um, but it, I mean, they made headway there. I mean, you want to talk about headway. They did definitely make a move in his recruitment. They made a move, I think, with most of those kids that took unofficial visits. That was certainly the vibe, um, you know, after that weekend that uh, they had sort of taken that next step into changing, I guess, the narrative around USC recruiting. Yeah. Uh, let's see. We got one from David Law, and uh, sometimes these are open-ended. I'll, I'm going to narrow it a little bit. Which recruit, uh, so instead of recruits, I'm going to say you got to name one who would seriously consider uh, USC before the staff change, who wouldn't seriously, excuse me, who would not consider, seriously consider USC before the staff changes. Does USC have a legit chance at now? So one recruit you think that was like, no way was going to go to USC. And now because of the staff changes, he could go there. Hmm. One kid. Yeah, I like butchered that one, but my bad. Well, I mean, I, I feel. I mean, I feel like it's probably defensive secondary. Maybe a guy like Jalen Davies, um, six foot, one hundred seventy pound cornerback at a modern day high school. Uh, that's a player that um, has always liked USC, but after I think the five and seven season, it really opened up for him. You know, and that was a guy that uh, I think just would was starting to sort of fade with USC. I mean, I think even uh, Sierra Wright is another cornerback, um, you know, 6'1", 175-pound, four-star cornerback from uh, Loyola is another guy that sort of USC got back in with. I think he still very much uh, likes Washington, and I, I mean, I'm not saying that's a done deal at all, but I think uh, that's definitely uh, – their USC has much better shot than they did that the same thing with the kids from um 
you know, like Muir, uh, Jameer Johnson, Caleb Bullock. I think Dante Williams just being theirs is a big deal, makes a big deal for them. Um, they they would have considered USC, but I think now it's like, okay, USC probably in the lead, uh, at least for Bullock. Um, it's kind of hard to it's kind of hard to get a feel for how much they want Jameer Johnson right now. Um, but yeah, I think they they definitely have a, a a better shot at him than they did before. Um, Anthony Beavers Jr. was committed to Oregon. Now, I mean, it's coaching staff change altogether. So I would say, you know, that's probably the one guy that's probably the easiest uh, to to point out is is Anthony Beavers Jr. committed to Oregon. He's a kind of he's listed as an athlete right now, but he's really sort of probably going to be a safety. Um, Craig Nivar was really the first domino to fall that really helped USC. Um, he had a great relationship with, with Craig Niver and Craig Niver's a hell of a recruiter. I mean, he's got a little swagger to him. And so that was already sort of shifting things a little bit with him in Oregon. And then Dante leaving Oregon was like, that was it. You know, that was when he decommitted and that kind of sort of uh, the writing was on the wall. Um, so I would say Anthony Beaver is probably the one guy, the easiest one to say, yeah, that before USC was out of it, obviously he committed to Oregon. Now, were they out of it, out of it completely? Probably not. They could have still recruited him, had a good season, and maybe, you know, but those coaches there alone, Niver and Dante Williams coming, that was, that was a, a, a big, just kind of washed away that whole verbal commitment to Oregon. We got Big Jim Trojan. He names like 10 recruits. I'll just pick one because we talked about some of the other guys. Uh, where does USC stand with a guy like Tony Franklin? I'm sorry, Troy Franklin. Oh, I'm just like, I'm all over the place today. Troy Franklin, Gerard, what do you think? Hey, welcome to the club. Yeah. Um, yeah, Troy Franklin, uh, I, I think they're in a pretty good position for him. I know some people are picking him to go to Oregon, picking him to go here and there. Uh, USC has not done a great job recruiting Northern California. Um, but this is one where I think that uh, Kerry Colbert has a, has a very good relationship uh, with Troy Franklin. He's been down to USC a few times. I think the offense, certainly at USC, is just it's much easier to sell to a, to a receiver than Oregon's offense. And I think ultimately that's, that's going to be something that's going to play a big factor with them. So, um, you know, the quarterbacks that USC has, the, the offense that they have, and the, the the success that the receivers have had in the offense, and again, I don't think it's going to take a step back um, this next season. I think they're in a very, very good shot. Right now, we're listening to him and is having high interest in USC. All right. Uh, beat ND1. Realistically, any real chance Corey Foreman flips with a good season, a conference championship, and major bowl, or does USC have to reach the Final Four, and even then, are the odds against the Trojans? I think the odds are kind of against them. Um, I don't think there's a good chance that they flip him. Corey has plenty of ties to USC. You know, he's got ties to Craig Jack, uh, Drake Jackson, very close to Drake Jackson, close to some of the other Centennial guys that are on the team. And Gary Bryant's coming in here for the spring. Uh, there's a few Corona Centennial guys there, but they were there when he made that commitment to, to Clemson. Uh, Corey, I think just views himself as kind of a little different and wants to go his own way. Um, his dad is a big USC fan. His mom likes USC. 
I was a bit surprised that he made that commitment as early as he did to Clemson. I, I wouldn't say it's impossible that USC could flip him. I definitely could flip him, but um, it's it's going to be a bit of an uphill battle. They got to recruit Corey. That's the thing. It's it's you know the dad, the mom, the family, whatever. That's that'll happen. It's really it's got to be you know Coach Vic Soto who can just, you know, get get a relationship with him and, and Corey's gotta like him. Corey's gotta like Todd Orlando. They there's that as really where it has to try to change and shift. He didn't really have a great relationship, I guess, with the past staff. I think that just uh you know, it's kinda obvious. It goes without saying. I mean, he turned around and com- commit to Clemson. So yeah, USC's got some some ground to make up obviously because they have a new coaching staff and they've got to build up that relationship with him. This one, I think it's Gusiach, uh, G-U-S-I-A-C-H. I don't know how you say it. My apologies. Uh, are there key positions USC should be looking at, and do you expect them to go the same route as last year where they stock up on certain ones to even the numbers? Well, last year they, they just went after offensive linemen. <laughs> I mean, it yeah. was because they missed out on other classes. They will take two quarterbacks. They will take two running backs in this class. So the two running backs and the two quarterbacks is because they missed out on the quarterback that last class and they missed out on a running back in the last class. And they really needed a running back in that last class. They needed to have a guy. Um, now you cross your fingers if you're a Trojan fan and you hope the players that you have on the roster now stay healthy. And if you do, it's not a big deal. You know, I mean, last year they obviously had a slew of injuries. Um, but that at the running back position can happen. You know, it's not one of those positions you go, oh, my gosh. You know, when USC lost full uh, three starting fullbacks uh, back in, I think it was at the 2009 season where you had, I think it was Brandon Hancock. And I think you had Havili come in as a freshman. And then you had um, uh, the kid from Mission Viejo, Ryan Badrell. And you had three really good fullbacks on that freaking team. Like they were all guys that you're going, these are guys, you got, when do you ever have three like really good scholarship fullbacks you usually are pulling a fullback in from a walk-on linebacker position something like that and they all got hurt and that was the year that they lost to ucla because they didn't have a lead blocker they had mike Brittingham at 195 pounds trying to be a fullback for them for the freshman running backs that they had um so that's a position where you go wow that's that's just uh that's just bad luck but at the running back position where those guys are always getting tackled and hit you know you're going to get some injuries. You, you kind of almost, at this point, you know you're going to have one or two guys probably go down at some point during the season. So, you know, you've, <laughs> you're hoping, you're crossed your fingers that the four scholarship guys that you have uh, are able to, to, you at least have two of them to be able to play out the season. So running back is definitely a position that they're going to have to get. Um, you know, receiver, they're, they, they were pretty good, so they didn't really necessarily have to get a bunch of receivers. They still signed two. Um I think Lyman, you still want to bring in a good four. Uh, I think you're still at that point where you you want to get quality, and you're not going to go you know crazy. But three to four, you want to get to quality uh, linemen. and I think defensive linemen are going to become a bit of a, a, a more of a, a an issue um, because you're going to have J. Tufele and Marlon uh, Tuipolotu both leaving, and that's going to leave a big void in the middle of your defense. The odd thing is they're talking about Drake Jackson playing linebacker with spring ball. I'm not a fan of that. I don't see him being a linebacker. I don't say don't waste his time. Don't waste your time standing him up. I'm not saying that he can't do it in college, but ultimately he's a 280, 285-pound three technique. 
Um, or maybe he stays around 280 and he plays with the five technique. That's where you want him to be. And so, and, and especially when you're going to lose J. Tufele and you're going to lose Marley, Marlon uh, Tuli Polotu. Um, so they've got to have, they've got to get some interior guys in this class. I think that's going to be a big thing. Uh, Vic Soto is going to be some pressure on him to be able to get uh, a hundred pounder um, that can be a pass rusher also. Yeah. Um, linebacker. Yeah, uh, you know that it's you know, it, it's a class that's going to have more balance. Um, it's it's definitely it's going to be a twenty plus class here, probably twenty one, maybe twenty two, um, depending on things transfers. I mean, you know that's kind of frozen right now. Um, so that that that, but it's but definitely I think the running back position and I think that interior line is is crucial and safety is going to be a big deal because I think with this scheme. It's really a three-safety scheme. They like to run a lot of dime, and you're usually using two safeties. And even if you're not using dime and you're using a nickel package, you're going to have that star back, which is that big safety that's going to play a lot near the line of scrimmage. A guy like, uh, you know, um, um, uh, Telenoa Hufunga, uh, someone who's a really good tackler, but also fast enough and, enough and experienced enough playing in coverage and space that he's comfortable there and he can do that. Let's go to Cassius L. Uh, GM, you've seen a lot of quarterbacks go through the recruiting circuit over the years. Based on what you've seen, build the perfect quarterback. Arm strength of this guy, accuracy of that guy, legs, smarts, etc. Not exactly the type of question you get for recruiting blast, so no problem if you save it for another podcast or ignore it altogether. We're not going to ignore it. Uh, feel free to do a long pod, guy, pod guys. I'm quarantined and bored. Uh, stay safe and healthy. Uh, what do you think, Gerard? Who's... Let's put together your perfect quarterback. You know, honestly, I think from that standpoint, you could just take Bryce Young's mobility, his awareness inside, outside the pocket. Um, I think his disposition and then just put it into DJ Ukulele's body <laughs> and his arm. I like and there that. you go. That's, that's basically like the, if you could put those two guys together, you would have – like a modern day, I don't know if I'd say it wouldn't be John Elway, but it'd sort of be like if you were to take it from the pros, it'd be like throwing Russell Wilson in with like a Dan Marino type. Yeah. I mean, you just kind of meld together like the big guy that's hard to tackle, but you give him that type of mobility and that type of awareness and that arm strength. I mean, that's like that's that's really the perfect quarterback and both those guys are great by themselves. But man, if you put them together, if you gave Bryce just, you know, that body and that arm strength, um, it'd be, it'd be, it'd be, it'd be fine. It'd be fine. I like, I mean, that would be, that would be where you would want to go. That's a good answer. Um, let's go to Troy Bo bro. Troy. No, I'm sorry. Troy bro. Who are your favorite offensive linemen out West and how do USC's chances look? Maybe just pick Can you one say or that two. Again? So, who are your favorite you say, you say- offensive linemen out west, and how does USC's chances look? Oh boy! <laughs> well, I mean, just pick they a couple. Don't the, yeah, don't do all of them. Just do a couple. They, they did get the commit. They did get the commitment from uh, Mason Murphy, which was was big. I mean, it was good just to kind of get your foot in the door with the offensive line class, and he's actually the top rated uh, offensive tackle in California right now. So that's kind of a, a really good start. Um, I think you know Bram Walden again. That's another guy that's a little more, a little smaller 
type of player, um, but very agile. I like those kind of players a little more in this offense um, than uh, the big, huge guys. I mean, it's it's really weird because <laughs> not to go off on the tangent here, but last year at this time, USC seemed to be recruiting a bunch of offensive linemen that were the, the smaller, more agile type guys, the guys that were that 250 pounds. Um, you know, Kyle Jurgens was a guy that they had uh, committed um, from after the Rising Stars camps. And then he came back for the elite camp and was, you know, 6'4", 250 type of body. And we hear a lot about with the NFL draft, how a lot of those top linemen coming out of high school were, you know, 250 pounds. They, they, they averaged about 250 pounds, 6'5", and they were not like these behemoth 300-pound guys. But then as you transition past the summer into the season, the class kind of got turned on its head. And all of a sudden you went from like all these guys that are looking like, okay, oh, Jack Yerry, maybe he's going to be an offensive tackle. Like he fits the, he fits the profile perfectly. And then you transition into their recruiting, you know, Cortland Ford, um, uh, try to, uh, 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 Caden Steven, um, all these guys that are like 300 plus. So their class ended up being, and I can't remember what it, what it averaged out to be, but it was like over 300 pounds. Like this is a, this is a bigger class that they brought in for 2019 with big behemoth guys. And I, I think with the offense that they run, you would think that that's not necessarily the body type that they would want, that you would want smaller, more agile guys that play in very wide splits. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see if they continue on that path of going after, you know, the 300 and, and maybe part of it is also that they didn't have a lot of choice. You know, they kind of had to go and find some guys that, maybe from a body standpoint, were a little more ready-made to step in. Um, certainly a guy like Kyle Jurgens, he has some years ahead of him before he's ready to step in and be a Division One football player. You know, I mean, there may be upside there, but it's not immediate upside. So, you know, maybe that had to do with it, and, and they couldn't just go out and get a bunch of guys that were, you know, that 270 pounds. And that's what Walden is. Walden is, you know, about 70, 270, 275, a smaller guy. But I, I just from a profile standpoint, like a guy like that, um, you know, with his with his footwork and things like that. Um, so, uh, T.O. Oli Save, I'm probably – Butchering that name, I have not spoken to him in person, but I know he's a kid that USC is kind of the leader for right now, um, 6'5", 265 pounds. Again, he's a smaller guy. He's a little more agile, but he's a guy that wants to be recruited as a defensive lineman. And USC is recruiting him as a defensive lineman. Um, so that's going to be interesting to see how that works out. You know, If he develops later on into an offensive lineman or he actually becomes a defensive lineman, He's another guy that USC is looking at. Jonah Miller was a guy that was supposed to be taking uh, an unofficial visit to USC. I don't think that's probably going to happen now just because with everything, um, it'll happen probably later in the summer. Uh, but that's another guy they're kind of trying to battle Oregon for. You know, they're, tr- they're really trying to battle and keep some of these kids that are just, you know, in the area, uh, whether it be just, you know, California or West Coast in general, away from Oregon because Oregon has had that success with Penny Sewell and their head coach is an offensive line coach. So, you know, you're kind of working against that. And so USC is kind of in that position right now. Let's go. This is an interesting one. SC fight on. Uh, GM, I'm sure you get your your recruiting scoop, especially about learnings, I'm sorry, leanings and silent commits 
from all kinds of sources. I suppose the most reliable info is from the recruit himself and, to a, to a degree, those from his inner circle. I'm sure you also get vibes from those tied to USC. I think there's some, such as recruiting guru from back in the day, who take the inside USC info as gospel too often. You seem to be the master at using that info as a data point, but keeping it in proper perspective. He's right on on that one. Uh, with that as a backdrop, what am I... Uh, what I am interested in is learning under which coaching regime did quote inside recruiting info flow most freely, whether from the admin support staff or coaching staff, not looking to acknowledge any NCAA violations about the institution talking public publicly about recruits, obviously. Um, I mean, listen, I just, I just have a good relationship with the janitors here at USC, man. <laughs> we just, you know, I mean, I don't, <laughs> yeah. but it's, I mean, I mean, it's as true. far as, I mean, if you just want to, it, like I always say, like, about... say you're best friends with whoever the head coach is, if it's Clay Helton, you're best friends with Clay Helton. And he told you everything he knows about USC recruiting, but that's all you knew. You still wouldn't know everything. You know, Clay Helton would know a lot. Oh, yeah, yeah. So no, 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 definitely. definitely. Because, I mean, one thing that I've learned through this, downtime of USC because I came in work in 2003, 2004 was sort of when I started doing this full time. So you're covering USC. And if you've got sources that are getting information from USC side of things, you're getting information that tends to be pretty accurate because they're talking to the kids and the kids are being honest with them because they want to go to USC. What I have learned in these dark years, especially after that five and seven season is that on USC side of things, kids say whatever. And a lot of times they're the last to know that they're no longer involved wow. with that recruitment. That's a good and point. So, yeah. And this, this even comes up. I mean, this was even like with the Drew McCoy transfer. I mean, USC was kind of the last to know that Drew McCoy was, uh, Drew McCoy, Drew McCoy was transferring from USC to Texas. Uh, they were pretty surprised by that. And that just, when you are not successful and not doing well, it just, you end up on the, you know, you know what they say, shit flows downhill. You're, you're down at the bottom of that. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it, the, as this has gone on and the football program sort of has struggled more and more. Yeah. You have to have your feelers and your sources outside of the program, completely away from the program to have a better idea of what's really going on. There was several times where, I mean, there's a lot of confidence with B. John Robinson, a lot of confidence with uh, Trey Johnson uh, or Trey, uh, I'm going to blank on his name, not Trey Johnson. Trey Johnson works at USC. Um, Trey, I forgot his name already, the running back. Fucking coronavirus. Oh, sorry. Um, nice. <laughs> <laughs> it's affecting my speech today. It's affecting your memory. Like it's, I don't know what's going it's, on. It's totally, I, I just feel like that's no longer pertinent information. Like I've got other things I got to remember now. Um, but uh, anyway, the so running back position was a perfect example where like USC was very, very confident, you know, and, and you were hearing from other places, like they shouldn't be so confident. And it's like, okay. So you're, you're always trying to, you know, kind of just, you have to balance it. You have to balance it. And some years and sometimes, it's less so than, than, than others. You know, I, I think, you know, you, 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 when this football team's successful and they're, and they're, they're the, the kids are interested and, and I, I guess, you know, the, the, the lesson you take from it is that kids will say a lot of stuff. 
They really do. Parents will say a lot of stuff. Um, they're looking out for themselves in a lot of these situations, and they tell everybody sort of what they want to hear until they're ready to do what they want to do. And so you get into like, you know, what's the feeling around Justin Flo's recruitment? Well, Justin Flo's telling everybody, oh, I love you. I, I really like your school. I want to go to your school. So now you have to read between the lines. Okay, so who is he really telling the truth to? What? Who does he like? I mean, maybe he does like everybody, but who does he like the most? And it's it's tough because you're you're again you're trying to pull in um, things that were said and specific things that were said. You know, has he told this coach this? Did you hear what you know? What what are you hearing on this? And yeah, it's it it, it becomes a lot harder, a lot more a lot more difficult, a lot more challenging to read and to make predictions. When USC was going to Rose Bowls and playing for national championships, you sort of almost had like this group base of kids right off the bat. You go, okay, those guys are going to USC. You know, you got a group of like eight to ten kids in this class that are local, that they are in you know the West Coast or whatever. Those will be SC guys. And then you're just basically looking at the guys that they try to cherry pick out of state and try to get a vibe for, okay, you know, USC seems like they're very confident in this situation, but what am I hearing over there in Florida? You know, what, what are the, the Florida people saying? And, you know, I'm just like Jalen Ramsey. I remember that recruitment where, I mean, USC didn't know that Florida had an in-home visit after them. And I went, ooh, that's a red flag. You know, because he didn't say it. He, 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 I think he lied to them about that. I think he lied to them kind of down the stretch with a few different things that were said. And that's kind of one of the things that also comes up when you're starting to hear things from maybe USC side and people that are close to the program. And then it contradicts what somebody else is saying, who's a pretty good source you know, on the other side of the country that, that kind of knows what's going on. And then when you see those inconsistencies, that's another thing that pops up that you have to go, okay, well, let's take a step back here. This is not adding up. And when it doesn't add up and you're coming off a 5-7 and seven season, you're coming off an 8-4 season, even when you're, you know, kind of okay and you maybe you won nine games, you still have to consider uh, the other schools that are involved yeah. and, you know, what angles they have uh, with that kid when they're recruiting them. Let's go to uh, T.W. You should bleep me out. Bleep me out, please. No, it's fine. You can you can say an occasional swear word. It's okay. Uh, this is a free podcast. This is going out. Kids will hear this. Yeah, they might, but that's that's fine. We you know we swear on free podcasts uh, sometimes. T.W.P. Trojan, how are we looking for Sierra Wright and Jalen Davies? We talked about that. Uh, Sierra Wright, I think USC's made definitely traction with movement with. Um, but I think Washington's definitely there. Uh, there's some other schools he's looking at. I think with Jalen Davies, that's one where I'd have, feel like USC might be back in the driver's seat. They, okay. they really slipped a lot with him, but yeah, they're kind of moving back into that position. Uh, Trojan Brand, there's some good talent down in San Diego this year. Are there any prospects that SC is looking at seriously? Well, we know Josh Simmons was who they were looking at seriously, and he committed to Oregon. Um, and he committed to Oregon. It hasn't been really changes with the offensive staff, like with the defensive staff. So, you know, that sort of is what it is. Um, they're going to have to continue to recruit him and, um, you know, just kind of try, try to change his mind. I know there was some expectation that he would unofficially visit USC for that big weekend with the basketball game. Um, 
but to my knowledge, he didn't make it. So I'm not saying that he, maybe he did, but we didn't see him there and we were looking. Um, so I, yeah, I, I, that's the big name. That's the, the kid that they're really after uh, right now. USC has been, I mean, San Diego's kind of a weird place where it always seems like the prospects show up a little later. Um, Byron Cardrell is another guy that, um, Cardwell, I should say Cardrell, um, he's a running back uh, that was at St. Augustine, and then he transferred over to, I think he's at, is he at Helix now? I'm not sure. I can't forget off the top of my head, but he's one of the top running backs in the class that USC is recruiting. I don't get the vibe necessarily that USC is really um, like super high on this list. He, when I talked to him at the Under Armour camp, he liked USC, uh, said he's you know building a relationship with him. Um, he's at Morris High School. We just looked at it. Um, he uh, I'm trying to remember it was uh, Morris High School. I think that was Marcus Allen's high school, was it not? I know Terrell Davis played at Lincoln. I don't remember. Can't remember. Anyways, I, I will get some people that will correct us on that. <laughs> oh, for sure. But anyways, Morse, Morse and Lincoln, Helix, those are sort of like the old school, uh, produced a bunch of prospects. And he was a St. Augustine guy, and then he he, he transferred over to Morse. Um, but, uh, you know, it could definitely be a, a – you know, kind of like a, a priority recruit for USC, recruiting really hard. He just hasn't been around USC a whole lot. And so that's another one of those guys that from an unofficial standpoint during the spring, you would want to get him up there during the spring. And you want to get him up there, hang out with uh, Mike Jenks and have him be, you know, just sort of build that relationship and feel comfortable around the coaching staff. And that really hasn't happened. So, I mean, USC still got a shot at him and they're recruiting him. But I didn't get that vibe like, oh, yeah, you know, he, he was – um, really feeling USC more than maybe some of the other schools that he's looking on his list that are basically West Coast schools kind of right now. Um, but, you know, the, the other impact is that a lot of these kids, from a, from a visit standpoint, all those visits that they were going to take to Ohio State or to Texas, and it seems like kids take so many more unofficial visits now than they ever did. Like they could just jump on a plane, and I don't know if just like the – I don't know. It seems like – I mean, plane – Tickets haven't gotten any cheaper. I don't know where that's coming from, but they just, you know, they take these big tours um, to all these schools over the nation. That's that's kind of like done. Like that's not going to happen this year. So, you know, the Ohio States and the Notre Dames and all those schools that come out here are going to have a much tougher time. They're going to have to put it all certainly on the official visits. And they're not going to have a lot of opportunities for unofficial visits. So we'll see how that plays. But those are kind of the two guys that off the top of my head that, that really are the guys that USC have kind of circled in. And But like I said, San Diego is kind of the, the, the one section where you get a lot of kids like later in the pro- process that sort of pop up um, as you're getting into September and August, or excuse me, September and October, where you see more uh, offers go out. They got one from 4SC and CHI, so in Chicago. GM, please share what the plan is for Junior Hawk. He says Armand Hawkins Jr. What are his responsibilities? Is this something they half handled with the Eric Ziskin type guy before as a part of a larger job, or is this completely new? Is it something you've seen elsewhere? Is it something that you feel brings a, t- uh, a return on investment? Finally, as this seems to be a leadership-building job, is this something Junior Hawk will stay around for years doing, or will there be a revolving door of people that 
have to make new relationships every other year? Well, that's hard to predict. I mean, certainly I think if, if USC feels like it's an asset and they will continue to invest in that position and he'll stay around, you know, if you continue to pay somebody to, to be there and give them raises and because they're doing a good job, they're going to stick around. If not, then they'll, they'll move on and go somewhere where they feel like they can get a promotion. Um, in terms of the position itself, it's really just a matter of having a, li- a liaison that has constant contact with the high school football coaches, um, you know, locally and, and maybe even nationally. Anybody who really comes in unofficially and visits the campus and keeping contact with them. Seven-on-seven uh, seven coaches as well as trainers and all the sort of peripherals that go on uh, with the kids and being able to have somebody there that is, is kind of a contact for them. Because a lot of times what USC has been doing in the past is with, you know, Eric Ziskin. Eric Ziskin was the director of player development at USC in pro scouting. So he wasn't, I mean, he, he did that stuff also, but also had two other main jobs that he had to do. Um, Alex Rios also was involved with it, but he was the director of recruiting and he had a lot of uh, responsibilities with camps and a lot of responsibilities with things going on with uh, the visits and, and setting those up. And so this is a little more of a sort of myopic position where uh, Armand Hawkins, as I understand it, can really just focus in on building those relationships with those coaches and those kids through those coaches and making sure that, you know, if they want to come and visit campus, they want to come and visit practice, they want to go to a game, they want to have access to the assistant coaches that they're not calling assistant coaches who got meetings, got all this other stuff going on. He can set that up and he can be involved with that. And that's, that's crucial because a lot of those times, you know, kid kind of goes off the, the, the reservation a little bit in terms of getting contact with them. The only way you're going to be able to maintain contact is if you have a, a tie into a handler, into a trainer, into a coach, into somebody that knows and understands the dynamics going on with that family and with that kid at that particular time. So it's really uh, another way of maintaining contact with the recruits themselves um, but also building a relationship with the schools and the faculty at the schools. And that's always, it's always going to pay off in the back end. There's always going to be somebody that maybe, you know, some smaller school wants to come up and they want to come and, and take a visit. Um, it did, you know, the, the assistant coaches don't have to be hassled with that. Um, director of football operations doesn't have to be hassled with that. Gavin doesn't have to be hassled. You know, that are doing other jobs. Somebody can be just focused on that and set that up, make sure that those guys get the red carpet treatment and feel like, wow, you know, we didn't even have a really big-time kid, and we came there. And then maybe three or four years, maybe one of those coaches at that school goes to another high school, and all of a sudden he's at St. John Bosco, or he's at Santa Margarita, or he's at Modern Day, or he's at you know Narbonne or, or, or some school, Crenshaw, and he can bring a kid in. And he's a you know a freshman or a sophomore, and that kid ends up being DeAnthony Thomas. So that's really what the I think the mission of that position is. That makes sense. Uh, David Law had another one. He said, "Can I sneak in one more regarding the prospects who attended the USC UCLA basketball game?" I know you mentioned this a little bit already. He said, "Have we ever had that many prospects at a basketball game? And it, did it go as well as it looked? Smart idea by somebody." Yeah, they've done that before. Um, that's a, that's been done. Geez, that's going back to Pete. Um, you know, Pete Carroll brought in kids uh, to the basketball games uh, a lot, and it, and yeah, it's 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 a good thing. It's it's a, a 
pretty you, successful You never know what's going to happen, though, right? Like, you bring a lot of recruits to the USC-Oregon game, football game last year, and that's a disaster. Um, but getting a, you know, a crazy last-second win against UCLA, it gives all the recruits some excitement. But you, that's something you can't control. You just you, you hope for something, a good result like that. Exactly, yeah. And that's kind of what I said earlier. You know, you just with the basketball team and the environment there, a uh, little bit of a gamble, I guess. Um, and, you know, it, to be a contrarian, it's, you know, they're sitting down, they're watching basketball. Some of those kids are not interested in basketball. They're on their phones. And it's like, you know, there's maybe a little bit of wasted time there where you get them at the Coliseum. Maybe it's a shorter event. Maybe it's only a couple hours long. But, you know, all that time you, you have in front of those kids and you're talking to those kids and you're engaging with them, um, you break them up into groups and some of them tour while the other kids get that one-on-one time with the coaches and the coaches kind of pull aside the guys that they really, really want to recruit. Um, the basketball game is good from the standpoint of you can sort of pick and choose, you know, who you want to talk to and like, you know, hey, go watch the basketball game. We're going to grab your your teammate here who's, you know, four-star guy and we really want to recruit really hard um, and then kind of take him aside and be able to hang out with him and talk. So they both have their pros and cons. I do think that weekend they had at the Coliseum where you saw that Heisman Trophy so uh, precariously <laughs> set up there in back of kids that, oh, man, I saw that. It, it, I think it had like a glass back to it, but it just looked like somebody had set the Heisman Trophy up at the corner of uh, the, the scholarship tower there, and it just could be knocked over very easily. But that weekend, I think – was more unique in that usually they the, the coaching staff did not bring kids over to the Coliseum for just unofficial visits. The only time they bring them over the Coliseum would be they used to do it for Rising Stars when Rising Stars would be an overnight camp, and then they go play Trojan ball over at the Coliseum um, at night, uh, and then they go back to the to, to the dorms or wherever they slept, and then they come back to the field uh, for the next day. And so, you know, they do it for obviously official visits because there's games there, but they haven't really done it for unofficial visits. And it really, the kids were just, they loved that. I mean, they all just talked about how amazing the Coliseum was. And I'm like, yeah, that's, you know, I mean, even empty, like I said, it, and it's empty because it's supposed to be empty, not empty because the team is sucking. That's another, that's another thing that you have to consider like, Hey, let's get them in here while it's empty. Cause it's supposed to be empty. You know, we don't have to make excuses why it's empty. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's a, that's one thing that I think they could probably do more of um, having events just over there. Like, yeah, I'm a case center, whatever, have the events actually just over there at the Coliseum. Yeah, no, it worked well. Uh, Gate Call said the NFL doesn't value nose tackles and safeties as much. Do you see the same trend in college football recruiting for a USC defense that wants safeties? Could this be to their advantage? Um, you know, it's no. I think it's similar, just because safeties can sort of kind of come out of other positions. It, what what happens with the NFL? It's always about how hard is it to find that particular type of player that can only play that position because of his body? And, you know, with a, it's hard to find a left tackle that's not a left tackle, just naturally, inherently. Like, he's going to be a left tackle. Now, obviously, through the process, or guys that build up, and, and maybe they change positions in college, but once they get to that point in the NFL, a left tackle is a left tackle. Um, with college, and, and similar to the NFL with a safety position, he could be as cold. Maybe he plays cornerback in college, and then he puts on a little more weight, and then he becomes a safety in the NFL. Maybe he was a receiver, and you kind of move him over there. 
Um, there's been a lot of players that have played a lot of different positions to play safety. So I don't, I think that's looked at as a little more of a hybrid position. So I think teams, schools feel like they can cultivate that position out of other positions. So you're never necessarily got your back against the wall, hard to cultivate a left tackle out of a bunch of guards, or maybe you could pull one from your defensive line, Butch Lewis, would be an example, although I think Butch Lewis was earmarked to be a left tackle all along for USC. Um, but, yeah, it, 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 and for now, I will say this, for nose guard, nose tackle, that's a position I think that's a little more, you got to go find that guy, and he, he, you got to put a lot of weight on him, and he's got to be able to play strong and play quick. And it's a, it's a, it's a position that's hard to find on the West Coast. There's not a lot of kids you're going to find that are, you know, that 320 just right out of the box. And so, you know, Marlon Tuipalutu is a, it's like one of the rare exceptions of a guy that you could, you know, on the West Coast could recruit and could kind of play that position as a freshman and contribute. Um, most of the time you're going to have to go down south. I don't know if it's a matter of just sort of the GQ attitude of California and kids, you know, play other sports and they want to look good on the beach. And, you know, Bubba out here is, is you just call somebody Bubba and it's a, it's, you know, you're putting them down kids named Bubba all over the place down South. It's a different culture. It's a different way that people look at body types. And here you're just a lot of body shaming in Southern California because of, you know, just it's the entertainment industry, it's models, it's the way it is. And so you don't find a lot of kids like that. It's something that goes along with that. Um, the, the the food of the South probably also helps with that. Um, so that's a position though, though I, I think is a, I think that's a very important position. And in fact, because the tight defense and really a lot of these hybrid three, four defenses now require you have a guy that can control the middle. Alabama has been good for a number of years because they have guys that can control that center. And often they can, they can really have to force you to double team them to be able to try to move them at all. Um, Because if you just have somebody there in the middle of that defense that you can't move and he's going to stop your run game, it creates a whole lot of issues. So I would say the nose – I don't necessarily agree with the nose tackle. I think that's a position that's becoming more and more of a marquee position and more and more important to find guys that can be athletic enough to to be somewhat of a pass rush um, threat, uh, but obviously big enough to stop the run. And I think in this defense, what we're going to see – is this is really a defense that's built around blitzing linebackers and sort of playing a shell game with who's blitzing. And that's really more where the pressure comes from. Uh, the defensive line is not necessarily, and it, de- it does depend. There, there's differences here where there's the, the actual sort of traditional Dave Aranda type of tight front. Um, and then there's more of the mint tight front, which is what Georgia runs, where they shift things over and they have a zero, but they have guys playing three and the five technique. And so if you're playing the three-five technique, you do need to have one gap pass rushers and guys that can get upfield. And I think that's better for USC. Again, Drake Jackson, I, I would put him there at a five or a three and let him be a pass rusher as an interior guy. And you got Jay Tuvele, who's another good pass rusher for a 300-pounder, and Marlon Tuilapolutu, who's a decent pass rusher for a 300-pounder. If you watched Texas last year, that defensive line was body catchers. They had a bunch of guys that just stood up at the offensive line, at the line of scrimmage and just put their hands out in the gaps trying to make a tackle or whatever. They had a lot of guys 
just occupying blocks way too much. And I know that's sort of kind of the defense in some respects because, again, the pass rush tends to come from blitzing linebackers. They blitz the Mike line or Mac linebackers, they call them that defense, a lot. It's not – It's it, a lot of times it's, that's the fourth rusher. I mean, it's just that's he's going to blitz every time. Um, they bring guys off the edge all the time. Uh, that's just sort of it. They they want to kind of put you in space against a faster player and hope they can beat those guys off the line. But they just didn't have those guys that could win those one-on-one battles when they blitzed last year. So that was Texas. We're going to see how that goes now with USC. All right. Uh, let's see. Let's go to Trojan Man 619. Seems like uh, between FSP and Hare, I think that's the, the those are um, seven on seven teams, right? Is that yes? Okay. Uh, Washington is becoming another smaller hotbed for top end talent. Uh, have we worked on a relationship with FSP, and is there a backstory there? Well, USC, I think a lot of taking Trey Davis a couple years ago was about trying to make inroads with FSP, and it didn't work real well because you know they took Trey Davis, uh, who a lot of people did not think was a USC level player. I mean, flat out told me, look. What is USC doing? And I thought, well, you know, I think they're they're trying to work a little bit and they're trying to get in there with FSP and and maybe this is sort of, you know, the first the first move to doing that, but it didn't really pay off because FSP um, you know, just their their group really didn't take any unofficial visits to USC. They kept postponing stuff. Um they just there was no sort of, oh yeah, you know, you got one of our guys and now we've, you know, got a building relationship and it just didn't happen that way. So that, you know, obviously didn't work out. Trey Davis ends up <laughs> transferring out to Washington State, never played it down at USC. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, USC certainly doing it. Uh, you know, Dante Williams, I, I think, has got pretty good relationship with some of those guys. Um, you know, there's no Northwestern real guy that I, I would know of that has ends with that group. Um, but that's kind of sort of become recruiting because, you know, those kids, again, with unofficial visits, those seven on seven teams, whether it be ground zero, um, FSP, premium sports, uh, pro way, uh, fast Houston, um, South Florida express, they all go together on these visits and these trips. And so you have to have a relationship with them and you have to really engage and be proactive in continuing to have that relationship with them because you know that their other schools are doing it. And so with FSP is a little unique because they've had some players that are not from Washington play on their teams. You know, they've had, I mean, Troy Franklin, for example, was an FSP uh, receiver, but obviously, you know, not from uh, Washington. Um, Jalen McMillan played for FSP last year not from Washington. Um, so they're kind of grabbing some kids and cherry picking some kids. Um, you know, Keely Ringo is another example. Well, Arizona kid playing for FSP. So they've, they've been cherry picking kind of from the West coast in general. Um, but again, you still, you know, want to have good relationships. It's just like with a high school or anything else. Uh, but moreover than the high school, because they're actually actively setting up unofficial visit tours and going on and, you want them to come to your school. And FSP didn't really, uh, I, I mean, I don't know if they ever, I think they did take an, eventually took an unofficial visit to USC as a team during the summer, maybe. I mean, there was a few times where I talked to FSP players and they're like, yeah, we're, we're I mean, we were going to go up there 
this weekend, but, you know, we didn't really have time and blah, blah, blah. And it was like, wow, it just kept going on and on, getting delayed, delayed. And I know that was like something that, you know, when they've been at UCLA and they've been at uh, Oregon and they've been at Washington, they've been at Arizona State. It's like, wow, so like what's going on with USC? And so I don't know. Maybe that's on USC too. Maybe they weren't proactive in making that happen. That's why you've got Armand Hawkins Jr. there. That's part of that that position where you have to have somebody on staff to make sure that those visits happen. Like blow up those phones. Make sure we're getting you on campus. Where are you staying? Who are you bringing? Who's playing for you this weekend? You know, how are you doing this weekend? Hey, keep me updated. You know what I mean? Like this, that constant, you just got constant be involved and be in contact. Yeah. Uh, maybe Dante Williams will have a relationship with the, since he's, but you can't put it, I mean, yes, but you can't because Dante's got guys to coach too. I mean, he's got meetings to be in. I mean, he's, he's a guy that will go above and beyond, but this is why support staff has come become such a big part of recruiting because recruiting is just never sleeps. It never, it's never at a point, even now, you know, it's not, even with all this going on, there's still a lot of recruiting going on. Um, you have to have people that are involved all the time, 24 seven and, and, and always calling kids and always calling coaches and always just having your ear to the ground to know what the other guy's doing just as much as what do we need to do to be better, to have a better relationship, um, to make sure we get as many opportunities to get in front of these recruits as possible. We have a priester who wrote in, uh, he gave three different targets, uh, uh, Troy Franklin, we already talked about. And Simmons, the guard that's committed to Oregon, we talked about. Uh, I don't think we talked about Kingsley uh, Suamata'aya, if that's how you say his name. Uh, he's an offensive tackle that looks like he's leaning towards Oregon. Any thoughts on him? Right. From Utah. Yeah, I think he took a recent unofficial visit to Oregon. Yeah, I I haven't talked to Blair and Gulo uh, lately about him. You know, he's our mountain regional analyst and, and has a very good relationship with Kingsley. You know, Kingsley comes from Orem and Orem is a school that has uh, both uh, Penny Sewell and just signed his younger brother actually this past year as a linebacker. So that's why, you know, the, the, the thinking there is, Oh yeah. You know, just another Orm kid that will go to Oregon. Um, so, I mean, it stands to reason. I understand that. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say USC, um, has a has a great shot. I, I think there's some connection there with uh, Vianney uh, Talamoivo, who is the assistant offensive line coach at USC. Um, his father runs a, a giant skills camp uh, for offensive linemen, and Kingsley's been a part of that. Uh, so there's there's some connection to USC, but not necessarily uh, the type of you know connection that he probably has with with Orm and and obviously the Sewell brothers, and that's you know, trying to pull him a bit to Oregon. So that's why Oregon leads. Uh, well, and, well, we got one more voicemail, but I got a couple questions from BU for USC. We started talking about this one already, but we can get a few more thoughts. In regards to both incoming freshmen and high school seniors, will the COVID-19 coronavirus help keep some of the local talent home? Family may not want kids to go far away when they may be at risk of infection and serious illness. Uh, yeah, I think we already touched on that. Yeah, I just for we don't know. I mean, we just don't know how this is going to impact things. I think the the length of the uh, you know the shutdown or whatever you want to call it. I mean, it 
the longer it goes, I think there might be more of an opportunity for something like that to like, hey, you want to keep, keep kids local as opposed to going further away. Um, but it's just it's just too hard to tell. I mean, that that could be one of the fallouts of this coronavirus, but it could be the opposite effect. We, we just don't know. Um, I think that's hard to say. And the other one, <clears throat> excuse me, the other one he had, which of the incoming freshman offensive line uh, does the staff feel will be high level impact players? I think Jonah Monheim is the guy that his name's come up quite a bit in terms of he was a steal. He was underrated. He's going to be a guy that's going to be able to play um, and, and be a starter and be a very, very good player for us. So that's certainly number one. We've talked about Cortland Ford being a guy that, you know, the, the injury questions are, are, are still kind of there lingering. Uh, if he comes in and he can be healthy, then you watch him on film with his size and everything. I think that's definitely a huge get. I like Casey Collier. I think he's got a little more time to develop, but he might be a legitimate left tackle where there may be question marks is if they have a real left tackle on that, uh, on, in that recruiting class. Um, I don't know if any of those other guys really speak as, as true left tackles, but I think he could be. I think he's got the athleticism, and I think he's potentially got the wingspan. We never got to see him play in person, so I always hesitate a little bit. You know, with offensive linemen, there's always those things where you see guys, he's you know, 6'5", 300 pounds. Like, okay, sounds like he's got offensive tackle size. And you go see him at a camp, and you go, nope, he's not an offensive tackle. He's maybe 6'4", and he's 300 pounds, but – terms of arm length and in terms of footwork and athleticism and balance and just to be able to be kind of aware in space. Some guys have it, some guys don't. And so just strictly based on film, Casey Culler looks like a potential left tackle, but having never seen him in person, um, and I don't know how many times USC saw him in person either, but, um, you know, Tom Westerberg is the, the coach at Barbers Hill and I'm sure Mike Jenks, who was the lead recruiter, actually, for Casey Collier, probably has a pretty good relationship with him. And, and Tom Westernberg is a guy that uh, is coached Bobby Evans, uh, Greg Little, um, up at Allen High School. He's got a really good track record for recruiting, uh, for coaching some very good football players, Kyle Murray. Um, so I think, you know, maybe there's some – you know, trust in that, you know, that hey, if, if Tom Westerberg is saying, hey, this this guy's going to be a good player, you know, Mike Jenks says, okay, he's, he's going to be a good player. Uh, but I, I, for me, that's one position, you know, offensive line to really know where they're going to play specifically. I, I really hesitate until I get to see him in person. But I, I would say Casey Collier just on film. Um, maybe Cortland Ford could play some tackle. Um, I kind of feel like he's a guard, but maybe he could play some right tackle uh, if his, you know, his, his injuries are, are not what they were kind of rumored to be. And I think Jonah Monheim is the one that's sort of the the lock, sort of the the you know, knock it out of the park. Uh, Caden Steven is also a, a player that a lot of people like. I know Brandon Huffman liked him a lot. The big issue is he only played in like I don't know five games maybe this season. Uh, he had some back issues. And so that's something that needs to be cleared up and needs to be addressed and see how he can recover from that. Um, that's kind of a big deal. So that's kind of the offensive line class in terms of the guys that are sort of earmarked um, coming in potentially as being dudes to look out for, even though it was kind of a three-star class. 
All right. Well, we got through that whole thread. Um, we, we didn't get to every single one. We got to most of them. There's a couple that were repeats. We just kind of skipped. Uh, and we got one last voicemail question for you, and then we'll let you go. Here you go, Gerard. JD from D.C., recruiting question for Gerard GM. It looks like this new linebacker recruit, Tui Halamaka, is kind of a cross between Port Augustine's body and frame, but he's playing in Cameron Smith's position. Could you please compare him to those two former Trojans? Yeah, I don't uh, I don't know if I would compare him to Porter Gustin necessarily. Porter <laughs> Porter was pretty unique. I mean, his body type even uh, you know, in high school was uh he was he was a man amongst boys. Um uh, he he's and he's not really necessarily Cameron Smith either from the standpoint is he's he plays kind of some some more of a Sam type position from what I've seen of him. Um, I think he's a, I, I, what I like about him is that he's got the size and he's got the frame to hold up weight. And yet he's pretty fleet footed when it comes to running down and, and closing space. I think that's really where he, he kind of shows he's a very sort of instinctual player. I think he's run like a, a five flat at uh, the opening last year. So it's not like he has blazing speed, but he sort of has football speed. When you see him close sideline to sideline, it closes much faster than the guy that's running a five flat. Um, so I think, it, it, you know, growth potential wise, you're looking at him as being he potentially could be an outside guy, maybe a Jack, uh, the B backer, which I think is what Todd uh, Orlando um, calls it in his defense. Um there's potential there. You know, he could play that position. I need to see him play a little more in person to kind of get the, the gauge of that. I don't know if he has quite the height is, is would be my biggest concern with putting him on the edge. I mean, he's only about 6'2", and he's he's going to be probably about 235 to 240 pounds, uh, but he's got long arms. He's, he's got pretty good length in his arms, and that's what I like about him as far as when you're putting anybody near the line of scrimmage having to disengage from linemen. Um, so, yeah, I, I – Port Augustine, no, I just, he's not that kind of specimen sort of thing. Um, Maybe closer to Cameron Smith than just that he is pretty instinctual. And I think he is faster than he's listed. He's faster than Cameron Smith. Okay. But he's also faster than his listed, I think five flat um, because he's very instinctual and he has good field vision. So I, I don't know. I, I feel like, um, I'm trying to make a comparison to, to, to who he might be more like. There's nothing, but I kind of, I mean, like Randall Goldforth has some similar attributes as well, but is not quite, I don't think quite as athletic, maybe. Um, a lot of people sleep on, um, I said Randall Goldforth. That's not um, his brother. Um, Raylan Goldforth. Okay. Uh, Randall played at uh, at uh, at UCLA. I can't. I always Randall Raylan. I Mix mean, him up. You know. Yeah, it's tough. <laughs> Raylan um, is a guy that a lot of people sleep on. I think Raylan could be a very good player for USC. I mean, you watched him on special teams just last year. Uh, he was in on a lot of tackles. He was around the ball a lot, and so he's he's a, a little bit underestimated, a little bit under underrated. I feel like. Um, and a guy that could could do some things at USC certainly. Um, I think you know Junior 
Tala uh, Tulalamaka is is kind of like a, a, just a, a, a little better version of him, a little bigger, uh, a little stronger, and uh, maybe a little just a little little faster. And then again, it's like it's hard to say because you could look at times, but when I watch Junior on film. Um, he just, he, he flies around a lot. He plays with that reckless abandon. Um, but he's, uh, he seems like he always comes out with a pretty good, pretty good angle and, and, uh, doing things pretty well in terms of, uh, not being, uh, too reckless out there. All right. Well, hopefully we weren't too reckless here on the Trojan Blast recruiting podcast, making it free. Uh, but that's good. We want the, uh, the, all the fans to be able to listen to it, but hopefully, uh, you like what you hear from Gerard. He posts stuff like this every day up on the Peristyle, so make sure you check it out. If you're not a subscriber, go to uscfootball.com and subscribe. Definitely helps support us during this uh, strange time, but we're going to keep rolling on as usual, fully staffed. Uh, we're not going to have any kind of cutbacks during this, so we're, like Gerard said, we're pretty lucky in what we do, having everything be online. We can't always be in the same rooms now, but you know we didn't do that a lot anyway. So we'll just uh, kind of limit what we can do to uh, being remote and try to stay safe, flatten that curve, and uh, keep our social distance from everyone. Gerard, Gerard loves the social distance. He's not big a big social guy <laughs> anyway. Yeah, this is you were born for social distance. The lockdown thing is not really a, a big problem for me, but obviously, you know, have you I, even I, noticed? You haven't even noticed like not a single change for you, probably. No, unfortunately, yeah. I mean, because I have to I have to kind of keep my parents, you know, from going out and doing their routine. It was really weird sort of change of, um, you know, sort of positioning where I was telling them, like, you know, don't go out to eat. Like, you don't need to go out to eat. But they're like, well, you know, we can't just stop living our lives. And it's like, no, no you really can because this thing will stop living. You'll stop living your life if you get this thing potentially. So you need to take the risk and reward. And I felt like I was the parent talking to the, the kids. You know, my dad wanted to go to the gym and all that. It's like, no, don't, don't just look at, just lock it down. All right, yeah. just shut it down. It, but it is easier for me to say because I, I do tend to be a bit of a hermit and a bit of a, uh, uh, just kind of keeping to myself. I've always kind of been a bit of a loner, so it's not a huge deal for me. I'm not like Ryan, the social butterfly who just like, you know, he just magnetized to crowds, like wherever the most people me. are, yeah. that's where Ryan will go. Like, Hey, let's go over here. No, let's go over there. There's people standing out line to get in that place. That's where we want to go. No, that's not where we want to go. But you know, Ryan's always looking to make friends and you know, and everything. It's just, you know how he is. I'm not like that. So yeah, from that standpoint, um, it's not a big deal, but, uh, the fact that, you know, you could still somehow end up getting sick and, you know, ended up in the hospital and yeah, there's a lot of worries. There's a lot of stuff. And I worry about a lot of people around me as well and worry about all you guys and making sure, you know, that Dan and Keely and Chris and their shotgun and everybody is, uh, you know, it's good. You know, we, this, this, this caught havoc on a lot of things. It's not just, you know, health, it's, you know, everything else going on with it too. So, uh, it's, it's distracting. There's a lot of stuff that kind of, you know, your mind races and you sit there and you go to bed at night and you just think all these different things. So, trying to, um, you know, find different ways to sort of distract yourself. And uh, hopefully we are a good distraction for, you know, the uscfootball.com subscribers who we really appreciate. And those who are thinking about being subscribers that are uh, there just uh, checking in on the free board and, um, you know, that that follow the team um, passively. Yeah, uh, we appreciate all of them and our listeners. And uh, we've. it's funny, when we first started doing shows after this, you know, kind of the outbreak was – 
it became really real. People were, you know, sending me messages like, Hey, we really appreciate it. Cause they don't have much else to do. So we want to make sure we're still, uh, you know, an option for them to entertain, you know, they'll watch Netflix or HBO or whatever you're going to do. Uh, but we want to still be out there, you know, giving them opportunities like this. So, uh, to listen and just, you know, hopefully get some entertainment and get your mind off, uh, viruses and things like that for a little while, even though we do talk about it some, um, all right. Well, I guess we'll wrap it up. Uh, any last words, Gerard? No, everybody, uh, stay safe. Um, I'm exhausted after that, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> after that podcast. It was like a long, I feel like a long podcast here. Um, yeah. Hour 45. But, pretty good. You know? Yeah. But just, uh, stay safe and, you know, hopefully we can get to a point of normality and, um, Again, you know, I apologize for like stupid things that I should remember. Um, I'm still trying to remember the damn kid from Mesquite. I, I know he's from North Mesquite, Texas. His name is Trey. Is Trey? I cannot remember that running back that USC recruited uh, last summer, along with B. John Robinson, who was considered. I mean, they thought on his official, unofficial visit, he was going to commit to USC. And then uh, he ended up going to Texas, and then he went to Utah. I mean, I obviously remember everything else about him, but his name is escaping me right now. It's like Trey Madison or something like that. But, yeah, that that's sort of um, – I'm sure I made a blunders in this podcast. It's just one of those things where I uh, kind of got to, uh, you know, focus in here. Was it Trey Hopefully Rudd? Podcast. Was it Trey Rudd? No, that was no. a couple of years ago. Okay. No, it was not. I, I mean, I could literally just look it up, but it's not that important. The point was yeah. that, um, you know, when you're in that position of a five and seven season, uh, even an eight, four, eight, five, you are not, you, you can't recruit and think that what you get from the kids and their parents is necessarily going to be um, the truth gospel. You know, you're kind of like the kids are looking at you and going, okay, yeah. But I'm not really sure about USC. I like the coaches. I don't want to tell them no. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be that, like, you know, for them not to like me. But I'm not going there. <laughs> and, and and that's sort of what happened with both those situations. I mean, with B. John Robinson, they ended up being third in a three-team race. You know, he committed to Ohio State uh, privately and then pressure from his grandparents, um, I think his grandma, and made him stay closer to home, which ended up being Texas and not USC. Yeah. And so a lot of people didn't see that coming, I think, from USC side of things. And again, when you're unfortunately not winning games, there's negative narrative that's cloud around your program, that stuff's going to happen. I've, I've, seen, I've seen that. That's been the one thing that stood out. It's like, wow, they just, they're missing on a lot of guys because they think they're going to get those guys because – why those guys are giving them the impression that they are coming, yeah. but uh, at the same time telling you know other schools different things. So that's why we have to have uh, our our feelers out there and you know not just focus in on one source, getting one bit of information from one perspective. Yeah, I always tell people that's why you're the best at what you do is because you have tons of different sources and you you know you put it all together and it's not just. You talk to this one guy. I know this one person, and you talk to him. It's like no, you, you need to get it from all over the place. So that, I, that's the great thing about the janitorial business. They're yes. everywhere, and I just my amigos out there. I just say, hey, you know, plug it in, and yeah, that's how you do it. Nice. Uh, all right. Well, let's wrap it up. I'm getting a little loopy too. Like I've been, yeah, do it. I, we almost did the show Tuesday. Today's Wednesday, uh, but I had two podcasts already, and I just I was loopy just from that doing this one today. So. 
I don't know what it is. This is a weird time, but uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed it. A lot of great information from Gerard in there. So uh, that's Gerard Martinez. I'm Ryan Abraham. Thanks so much for listening to the Trojan Blast Recruiting Podcast, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.